My name is Joseph Gallivan and you're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is Intisar Abioto. She's the curator of Black Artists of Oregon, which is on now at the Portland Art Museum through March 17th. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus in person again, Intisar. Yeah, thank you for having me. So Intisar, you researched Black Artists of Oregon from 2018 onwards, and it's culminated in this amazing show of over 200 works at the museum, which opened in September and it goes through March 17th. We came across this Izaka Shamsuddin painting of his two brothers and friend, mm-hmm. and it really kind of opens up the show to me. Just tell us a little bit about the painting. Yeah, well, the painting is from, from 1967. It's called Hair, Lion, and Spider. It's oil on canvas. And so basically, it is a very colorful work with uh, three black men, his brothers, and, and a friend. And it's vibrant, and there's a Pan-African flag. Um, there's, um, gosh, black dominoes with, like, teal dots on them. It's kind of a ghostly zebra behind them. And, I, and so like, one of the men has these piercing uh, red eyes. I wanted to talk about um, Isaka Shamsuddin because he's just like a forerunner here, um, a black arts elder. He was one of the first black elders that, elder artist that I interviewed when I was doing the oral history interviews that, um, that was the start of this process. He's a part of a influential black family here. One of his brothers, Cleve, was a founder of KBU FM, so I you know, want to talk about that. But, but also his sister, Rosemary Allen, was an amazing artist and, and like a theater company director. And actually, when I was doing the research, I came across a interview, uh, like a series of interviews that she did with black artists in 1977. Um, as I found it, it was described as as treasures from the KBU archives, art and the black artist. Uh, and so um, I just want to talk about them and their family and their influence in the history of black artists here, just to make that connection. Let's play a little clip of vintage KBU from the 70s where Rosemary Allen is interviewing five other black artists in Portland. But there's one question that I'd like for us to try to get off into before we close up for today. And that question is, what are your predictions for 1979? What will the Portland scene be like for black art as you envision it? Uh, Debbie Hicks again, a little more open. Uh, How much is yet to be seen? But all I can say is that if just us few right here in this room will just hold together, we can open it up to be a lot better than what it is. But we've got got to start somewhere. We just don't have that support. Now, if we have to support one another, then that's what we need to get together and do. But there's no black support here. We need to get that together. We can kick it wide open between now and 79. There's no reason for it not to be like that. And if we start right here in this room, we can get down and have it open. Boom. I, I, I see good, fair memory, I see good predictions. Good for 79. Um, three points. Uh, 
I want to hold on to is uh, we need more organization in promotion of the arts. Um, we need more organization in uh, acquiring facilities. And uh, we need training for our artists in the various uses of technology. Uh, if we address ourselves to this problem, I think we'd be way ahead. So we right, should it's possible. Thank all of you very, very much. And I hope Thank the people you. out there listening learn something. This has been Black History on KBOO. Thank you. And that was a clip from KBOO, December 12th, 1977, of Rosemary Allen talking to five black artists. Who the, uh, the painting we're talking about, it's, it's three guys, one, two sitting down, one standing up. And they're kind of like middle-aged guys, you know, they got like two of them have flat caps, two of them have glasses, and one, one's reading a book. Um, but then behind them, there's this zebra, and its face is not finished, it's left transparent. Um, so it's this, uh, he, he, he talks about his, his brothers and friends being like characters from Br'er Rabbit. There's the hare, the lion, and the spider. And uh, Cleave is the lion. He was the founder of, one of the founders of Kebu. Trying to figure out this context. He was painting in San Francisco. And how did his work end up in Oregon? Yeah, well, he is from Oregon. His family came up here from Texas and they were actually living in Vanport. So they experienced the Vanport flood. So he would have experienced the Vanport flood when he was around eight or nine years old. And so, um, yeah, so he's, yes, he grew up here. Um, and, you know, is very connected to the history here. And even the extended label is actually written and is from his voice. So um, just the context, you know, you know, even thinking about the flow of black artists on on the West Coast, that often there's, um, you know, black artists are in the region are in Washington or they go down to California. So he's another black artist who's kind of from here who also went to California. I've seen I'm seeing that a lot. Um, but you know, even here he says, um, I painted them live in three two-hour sittings in my San Francisco flat. Black power had come to life and Pan-Africanism became an anthem represented by the Pan-African flag and the ghost-like zebra. Expressing my desire for a unified African and African diasporic people. Reconnected to ourselves to reshape our world and save the planet. And then she, yeah, like, and then he says, he talks about his brother, Cleve was a founder of KBU FM community in Portland. And I also, you know, thinking about the hare, the lion, and the spider, and like the brr rabbit tells that he talks about thinking about black oral histories intergenerational conversations and even you know I wanted to talk about this uh, piece that was in the KBU archives that these black artists were talking about what was happening with them in black art in 77 you know that's what almost 45 or 46 like years ago and you know what it is to talk about our stories oral histories black folklore and you know even this piece is like is 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 it is it is referencing black oral histories black folklore as um a tool of liberation um so yeah there's a lot to say but uh he's very influential and deserves all the things mm -hmm. yeah 
yes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he was talking about pan-Africanism and, you know, this sort of idea of a unified African identity. Mm-hmm. I don't hear that much anymore in Portland. Is this, is this on people's minds in the black community? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think it's a little bit about perception because, you know, I feel like here in the Pacific Northwest and in Oregon, the story and the history of black people here, African diasporic peoples, is almost siloed away from the broader stories of um, of black history in the Americas, uh, international black history. But a lot of my goals with this exhibition and this storytelling is to show that we've always been connected, that black artists have always been influential and connected to black culture um, everywhere. You know, um, that black artists here and the black community here has always been in conversation and community, but with what's been happening with black people everywhere. And I feel like Asaka is a, is a wonderful uh, example of that. He was, um, he's an activist, you know, and he was organizing, he was a part of um, this black arts conference that, um, that Amiri Baraka put together in San Francisco in the 70s, you know, uh, this is someone who is a part of black history generally, not just in the Pacific Northwest. So I feel you see this here, he's, it's in, it's in the story, you know, that Pan-African flag, the red, black, and green, you know, he's, he's very much making it clear, you know, and even, you know, these black Oregonians we're in like California in the 70s, a part of the a part of the Black Arts Movement, you know. So I feel like if you there's stories in the work, the pictures tell the story, and it's our it's our lore, it's our lineage, um, it's our history. Round the corner in the next gallery, there's uh, two pieces. They look like movie posters. They're just on poster board. They're uh, prints. One is by Kayin Tolton Davis. It's called The Negro Colony, and it shows um, a black man and woman talking with their backs to the camera, and they're by the sign that says Lillis Albina Park, uh, Portland Park's rec sign. And um, behind them are these symbols of, it looks like the Space Needle, there are skyscrapers and a big black fist rising up and the slogan they protested in the name of segregation property values and white decency and then next to it by Cleo Davis is another kind of fake movie poster called creepy blight and this is done like a horror poster that's sort of dripping green font for creepy blight and the slogan is um, it came from the city and grew fed by redlining and there's a man and a woman who look like they're from the 60s they're in black and white shot in black and white running away from a sort of a green monster who's, hide, who's coming out from behind a brick wall with trash and uh, there's a big light over the monster so tell us about this this couple Kayin Tolton Davis and Cleo Davis Okay, yes, I love these artists, um, uh, Kayeen Talton Davis and Cleo Davis. They're amazing designers, thinkers, historians. They are family, they're a wife and husband team, and they're from Portland. Several generations of their family is from here, and they 
are archivists and they're researchers and they and so these posters they were artists in residence at the city of Portland archives so a lot of what's in here is coming from their own experiences as you know um, you know coming from black families here but also uh, like documents and images from the city and so Kayin talks about um, this poster, the Negro colony is based on actual Portland history that, you know, um, when, um, you know, uh, black people were kind of coming into different areas in the city, uh, you know, this statement, they protested in the name of segregation and property values and white decency, that's coming from, uh, that's coming from white Portlanders, um, not wanting black folks to be in the community, not wanting black folks to be on the land. And it was, um, I do know that there was something that was happening around Lilith Albina. And, and this word, this phrase, white decency, I believe that perhaps was including in, in those documents. And I love this. They're storytellers. They're drawing on the past. And even this, I love this, this space needle, this like uh, speculative science fiction, like, alien kind of a narrative in this colony you know you're thinking about alien colonies and, a and alien invasions and like uh white fear and thoughts around white decency and what's indecent and that blackness is indecent in this context but i love this these invaders and the the black fist and the needle i just think they're so amazing and then coming over to this other poster um, which is a different genre of horror, the creepy blights and the word blight and how blight was used to devalue uh, black, com black communities actually, like saying that an area was blighted was a tool for development. Even thinking about, they're talking about the Portland Development Commission, it says it on here, the Portland Bureau of Buildings, that that was a plan, it was planned for black communities to be moved all over the country and the term blight was a part of that urban plan. Um, and so once it came from the city and grew, fed by redlining, and then you're seeing these these black this, these black people from the '60s like running, and then this like weird monster coming around the corner. But that the monster is is white supremacy, and I love this. Even the kind of um, the reviews at the bottom, it's about time. They're just very strategic thinkers here in the city that also I believe deserve every bit of support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My name is Joseph Gallivan. You're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is Intisar Abioto. She is the curator of Black Artists of Oregon, which is on now at the Portland Art Museum through March 17th. I oh, yeah. talk about I this was one. here when this happened. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Some older Portlanders will remember Damali Ayo. She was an artist, sculptor, installation artist, and she did a web piece called rentanegro.com in 2003. And it was a sort of satire on white exploitation of black people. The idea being, you know, liberals could rent a Negro to, so they could have a sort of, they could be. Uh, uh, apparently woke. I think they didn't have that word back then. White people didn't. So you have it as a little laptop and it's kind of running on its own as a perspex thing to stop people from doing anything to the laptop. Tell us about um, this piece by Damali. I think 
that Damali is amazing. This exhibition is really thinking about black art's presence in history through time and who are the artists that we truly need to acknowledge. And I remember hearing about her when I was a junior at a Wesleyan University in Connecticut and she was doing this like reparations thing, trying to get people to, um, and so even from where I was, she was an artist based in Portland who had, uh, who had influence and impact uh, outside of this, outside of this region. Like she was known, you know, across the U.S. and internationally for her unique projects. And um, I don't know how I found out she was here, uh, but um, you know, this work was done in 2003. I'm going to read the um, archival presentation of the original version of the internet web art performance piece, rentanegro.com. Interactive web performance, computer, mouse, and monitor. That's kind of the things. Even this institution, when I was first starting to do the research around black art at this institution, I was looking into uh, Pacific Northwest-based or connected black artists in the Pacific Northwest art collection in 20. 18 or 19, and at that time I scoured the digital collections. It was, I don't know, um, so many artists for what I could find. At that time I found 10 black artists. I think I maybe missed two or three, but I found two black women who were connected to or from the Pacific Northwest in the collection, um, Thelma Johnson Street and Carrie Mae Weems. And then I think later I found maybe Mickalink Thomas was brought into the collection in I think 2018 or 2019. And then I, I found out about Samantha Wall, but that's just not enough. They were saying how this piece was actually inspired by Dick Gregory, uh, the, you know, the comedian and the activist and, you know, the history of black, of black satire. And once again, intergenerational inspiration. I know it was a book too, but it's got, mm -hmm. it has funny things to fill in, like someone's filling in, like, have you experienced black people before? Is it, well, there's that guy at the gas station, he's nice. So it's sort of mocking kind of white naivety. Mm -hmm. Inter's art, we're looking at a whole collection of paintings all by the same person, Patricia, Patricia Heron, sometimes Patricia Heron Woodward. Um, these are acrylic on canvas. Um, they're a kind of naive style of, with lots of flat colors of family scenes. So kids, kids at school, a dad with a bunch of babies, um, someone at the hairdresser, just families really hugging and uh, hanging out together, ones at a swap meet. Tell us a little bit about Patricia. You know, this exhibition is really about uh, connections and, and kind of like the knowledge between black artists. So I asked Asaka Shamsuddin around, around about black artists that he thought should be considered and he connected me with Patricia Heron. And so she's an amazing black woman artist um, born in 51 and I went to her house and and when I went inside it was like another world. Her paintings are everywhere in her home. They're in the living room, they're on the walls of the kitchen, in the bathroom, in the hallways, in the bedroom, just like um, a whole experience of black image making and history and feeling and black life. You know, I really wanted her to be in the exhibition 
uh, for the you know the individual works, but the collectivity of black life. And she's telling um, complex and deep and tender black, uh, stories of black life. This image here, this 2013 piece, um, is talking about her own family's um, history in um, the black the black migration. So her family, it's an image of her father kind of in a white shirt and there are, there are tears coming down from his eyes and he's carrying two babies and there are three other young children around him. So she talks about how her family came up to the Midwest, you know, and then behind his head you see these kind of white flower, these, these sorry, these white clouds. So she's really, she's referencing deep complex and also nuanced histories of black life. So it's not just the images, but black history. And we are now in the large room, uh, which has a little stage. It's the interdisciplinary room. And things here are kind of hung a little bit more salon style. They're closer together. It's a bit more intimate. Jeremy Okai Davis has three paintings here. One is a portrait of a young black man dressed as a jockey. That's been at Elizabeth Leach. He's wearing a lavender silk top and cap. And he's on this pale green background. You see stripes coming in the top corner. And then in a kind of contrast, there is uh, two images of women. One is a kind of pointillist piece, dots for the facial highlights. Uh, and the other one is also a portrait, but it has a bright red surround. The, the portrait's in a blue circle and everything else is red with these pink chevrons, dots, and some screen printing, it looks like, in the background. What is Jeremy Okai Davis doing here? He's been doing uh, a lot of works around black history here, black figures. I love his work and his kind of technique. It is kind of point to list, but also coming from photography and like, you know, thinking about like pixels and his kind of technique. If you look at this image, actually all of them, but if you look at the faces, the, the colors aren't smoothed out. There's like, you know, these kind of out of focus dots that kind of coalesce to create the portrait, but um, I was very purposeful about these works being together, this portrait of Beatrice Moro Kennedy called The Advocate, and this other image uh, that's also kind of a portrait called Hugh Street, and it's about Thelma Johnson Street, who's another artist in the exhibition, uh, amazing foundational artist here in Oregon. Once again, talking about the intergenerational collaboration between artists, Beatrice was an opera singer who came here in the early 1900s. She was an activist. She was the first black woman to do so many things, to like run for state office, to graduate from law school. She was a founder of the NAACP. She was also an arts advocate. And as far as I know, she was the first black woman to organize and slash or curate a show at the Portland Art Museum. She was a part of organizing a show of black artists here, a kind of traveling exhibition from the Harmon Foundation that came here to the museum in 1932. I wanted to put her forefront uh, just because we're thinking about the history of black art at this institution too. And she was an advocate for black people here, but also black artists. Thelma Johnson Street was a generation 
after her and she was a supporter of her and Thelma Johnson Street did so much. She was the first black woman to be exhibited and collected by, by the Museum of Modern Art. She a painter or photographer? She, is, she was a painter, she was a dancer, she was an educator, she was a muralist, forerunner in performance art. She would dance in front of her paintings to bring out other meanings. And so even in this piece here with her, it's, you know, an image of Thelma Johnson Street. And then, you know, there's an image of her dancing. There's a photograph of her dancing in this shape with her arms up. Um, and so he included that here. I spent a lot of time on the layout of the show. And even if you're looking at these two pieces, you know, I wanted them to be together. But if you see the lines that that kind of emanate from the bottom, this kind of kind of like a chevron. And then if you're taking a look to this piece with, with like Beatrice, you see the other lines mm -hmm. come out there. So I'm very interested in the intergenerational collaboration between these black women, women artists and for people to know them, their names. Like Thelma Johnson Street is not known as she should be. You know, she was doing her work in the 20s and 30s and 40s and you know being a black woman artist from the Pacific Northwest more people need to know about her and her influence and her impact not just in painting but in dance and in performance art. Black Artists of Oregon uh, it's a great show and every store every painting has so many stories connected to it how can the listeners if they come down here how can they get the most out of walking around here without just being you know lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot, you know, and I think this show takes several visits, you know. There's a lot to cover. There's a, so much more that we don't know. I hope that from this exhibition we find out about more black artists and more artworks emerge. Spending time with with uh, Grafton Tyler Brown, he was a black man here in Portland in the 1800s. He was a white passing black man and people need to know that history. You know, he was a part, I think, the Portland, those Portland art associations, you know, and then, you know, like one was uh, the, the organization that, you know, ended up being the museum, that black arts history and black artists were influential here in this region in ways that we don't even know. And he's, you know. And he was painting traditional landscapes. Yeah, he started, he was, a, he was a lithographer, and he was up and down the West Coast. He was in San Francisco, he was in Victoria, B.C., and um, he was a part of the Portland Art Club in the 1880s, and um, he was a white-passing black man. Like, who knew that, he, that, there was a, that there was a black man in that art group influencing the trajectory of uh, Oregon arts history? You know, and so people need to look deeper, spend time with these artists, with their names, like do some research, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. My name's Joseph Gallivan. You've been listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week was Intisar Abioto. She is the curator of Black Artists of Oregon, which is on now at the Portland Art Museum through March 17th. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus again, Intisar. Oh, thank you. Andy Warhol looks a scream. Have him on my wall. Andy Warhol, silver scream. Can't tell them apart at all.